speaking on the next generation, I think that one thing that's really important for every single person to remember is that there is someone who came before you and there's always going to be someone who comes after you. There is always someone who came before you and there will always be someone who comes after you. There was someone who prepared the way for you and there is someone that you now have the opportunity to prepare the way for somebody else. No matter where you're at, there is always an opportunity for you to express the gratitude of the way that's been prepared for you and for now you to prepare the way for someone else. I think building for the next generation is something that's deeply rooted in this house, deeply rooted in the convictions of Pastor Dad and of this church. And I think we as a church want to uphold those convictions and building something that lasts. I, w- I was in um, California a little bit ago and I was walking on the beach with my friend and we were walking on the beach and I noticed that there was this guy, I don't know if you guys are, pay attention to this, but there's this guy who, who built this amazing sculpture out of sand and he was uh, sitting on the beach and me and my friend pass by and we see this amazing thing. It wasn't even a castle. It was like a portrait of some kind of like this, this veteran. He, he molded it and there were so many details and stars and flags and everything you could see that this man had sculpted out of sand. And me and my roommate walked by and we saw and we admired the beauty and we admired how long it took and we admired how, how great it was. And we could see what it took to create such an amazing piece of art. And we saw it. And we walked by, and, and, and the thing that God showed me in that moment is that that thing is really, really beautiful right now. But the sad thing is that the waves are going to come tomorrow, and that thing will fall. And what I feel like God was showing me in that moment is, how are you building? Are you building with sand? Are you building something that's really, really pretty right now? Are you building something like a sand castle that, that maybe you put a lot of effort into? Maybe you put a lot of work into it and it has a a, a beautiful, beautiful image to it and it lasts and people can enjoy it and they can see it. But when the waves come, is it going to fall tomorrow? We can build something really, really beautiful church today, but will it stand for tomorrow? I, I think that God is asking us to build something that lasts. I think God is asking for us to build something for more than ourselves. And, and that means denying maybe part of ourselves, right? That means that maybe we have to sacrifice something that we might want in order to get something that God wants for us. It's not just about following Jesus while it's convenient, right? It's not just about seeing Jesus and say, God, I'll do anything for you. But as soon as you call me to something uncomfortable, ooh, right? God, I want what you want for me. And sometimes that means building for something more than myself. If we're, uh, I want to I take us into a passage into Luke 19 and a little bit of context into this passage is that this is the triumphal entry. This is when Jesus is about to come into the, the, final, the first step of his final act. This is when Jesus has been spending time with his best friends, the disciples, for years. And he's been hanging out with them and spending time with them and done miracles and healed people and ministered. And he's about to come into Jerusalem, right? He's about to come into Jerusalem. And this is before Gethsemane and this is before Pilate and this is before Peter denies him. And this is before all of that. And he's about to ride into Jerusalem. And this is what this passage is talking about. Jesus comes into uh, Luke 19, verse 28 through 35. Luke 19, verse 28 through 35. And this is what Jesus says at the triumphal entry. He says, And when he had said these things, Jesus speaking, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem, when he drew near to Bethphage in Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, 
where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? In verse 34, and they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, throwing their cloaks on the colt. They set Jesus on it. This right here is, is a really, really interesting passage of Scripture for a lot of reasons. And, and what I want to title this message is Untied. Untied. And I want to talk about three points. I'm talking about go, find, and bring. Go, find, and bring. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we love you so much. But more importantly, you love us. God, you are so good to us. We're asking, Holy Spirit, that you would do something that we can't in this moment, that I can't in this moment. God, that you would open our ears. God, that you would speak through me, that we would only receive what you want us to receive and nothing more. God, we are willing vessels just to be used by you. Jesus, we're expecting you to do something that we can't in this moment. God, make these ordinary moments extraordinary. Have us leave this place better than when we entered in. Jesus, allow us to see how big and how beautiful and how real and how true and how gracious and loving you are today. Jesus, you are so real. You are so good. Holy Spirit, we're asking that you would empower us to live, look, and love more like Jesus today than we did yesterday. In Jesus' name. Everyone say amen. 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 You guys ever been to an escape room before? You know what I'm talking about? Like the, the, I, maybe some of y'all is like, that's literally my worst nightmare. No, I'm not going to that. An escape room is like one of those things where you, you go into a group, you have a group and you go to this room and the room is literally a, a, a series of mazes and, and puzzles and, and clues where you have to put all these things together. And then once you put these things together, you're literally locked in a room. And once you get all the clues, you figure everything out, you go get the, 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 the tools and the maps and the, and the puzzles and you figure everything out and you bring them together. And then once you get all those things together, you can get out of the room, right? So you have an hour to get out. And I love escape rooms. Those are like one of my favorite things. It's like a giant puzzle where you have like an hour to get out. So me and my friends, we went to an escape room a little bit ago, and I don't know if you're like me, but I'm crazy competitive. And so when I get into an escape room, I'm the guy who's like, as soon as we walk in, they haven't even explained it yet. I'm looking around, I'm like, all right, cool. I'm like, there's a map and there's a coin, but what if the coin is supposed to tell 25 cents, 25 coin, 20? And I started looking for everything, right? I started looking for every clue, trying to put everything together. And so the ladies always get mad at me. They're like, hey, it hasn't started yet, honey. Chill out. And so I'm like, no, this is serious. I need to get out of this room. So I'm like super serious. And so I'm like, <laughs> that's my whole plan. I need to get out of this room. And, and when I think about all of these escape rooms that I've been in, and when I think about what it takes to get out of these escape rooms, I really think that it might even maybe correlate with what Jesus is doing right here. He's asking really simply of these two disciples when he sends them out, he's asking really simply that they do three things, that they go, they find, and they bring. That they go, they find, and they bring. And I think in an escape room, it's really simple in the same way, where if you get into that escape room, you have three things you need to do. You need to go find the clues. You need to go to get the clues. You need to find them. You need to go and bring them together. And you need to bring them so that you can put them together and get out of the room. 
And I think some of us maybe with this, with this message being called untied, I think some of us maybe are really, really tied up into something. And because we're tied up, because no one has got, went, nobody went, nobody was finding and nobody was bringing us back to Jesus, we've been tied up and not been able to accomplish our purpose. I think that God is asking us to be the disciples, to go and get something for Jesus, bring it back to him so that he can use it for his purpose. This is not just some some random story that Jesus wanted to include. This is actually a prophecy that Jesus was fulfilling from Zechariah 9.9. You know that? That Jesus actually, this was told years and years before when Jesus was actually said, I'm actually, that the Messiah, it was a prophecy that was told that the Messiah was going to come in riding on a donkey. And so this was something that Jesus was doing, not just to fulfill the prophecy, but also I think to maybe show us a little bit about how he thinks about the next generation. Hopefully, in the next couple minutes, we can see what Jesus means by that. The first thing I want to talk about is that we go. The first thing I want to talk about is that we go. I think that Jesus is always calling us forward. I don't think that Jesus ever calls us backward. Why? Because I think that your purpose is in front of you. I don't think that Jesus is ever going to call you to something that is behind you. I think that maybe we can look at testimonies. Maybe we can look at history and we can learn some things. But I think that Jesus, in saying, go and find this donkey, find this colt, I think that Jesus wants us to always move forward into our purpose. I don't think Jesus wants us to look back and see what could have been the glory days, what life used to be like. I, I think it's uh, a pretty interesting that I don't, I don't know if you've noticed the same thing, but that humans, we often are really, really nostalgic, right? Like you, you might, when we just talked about uh, graduates and you come up, some of you might be like, man, college, the, the, the glory days, right? Man, I remember when I was in high school, my letter jacket, or I remember my, my prom, or I remember my, 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 my first girlfriend. I remember when I graduated. I remember my doctor. I remember, and we're really nostalgic. We think about all these things in the past. We think about all the times in the past. We think about all the good things that's happened to us in the past. But I think when we're thinking about Jesus' heart for us, God's heart for the next generation, it's not always about what's happened behind us. It's always about what's happening in front of us. That Jesus is always pointing us forward into something greater. He, I remember in the, in, in, in the Bible, he's calling us from glory to glory and what strength to strength. That God is always calling us to something better. And often that something better is often something in front of us. And when Jesus is calling us to something in front of us, we don't have the need to look back because we know that Jesus is what bringing us into something and calling us to something. I think it's, it's, it's amazing that Jesus actually brings them into this moment. The two disciples, he brings them to the moment. And what does he say in verse 30? It's really simple. Jesus goes to him and he says, go into the village where? In front of you. Jesus says, go into the village in front of you and there where? What? You will find a colt tied. You will find a donkey tied. Isn't it amazing that Jesus is pretty much setting us up for success? That he's not, he's not trying to make it crazy difficult for us to follow and be obedient. That when Jesus got these two disciples, he wasn't saying, all right, I'm going to go this way, you go that way, and go find a donkey and meet me somewhere in Jerusalem, and then maybe uh, we'll be able to figure this thing out, and then I'll ride it in. No, he said, I'm going to lead you into this city. I'm going to lead you to this place, and then right here where I'm at, do you see that village right in front of you? Go into that village and bring me the donkey. What does that mean for you today? That can mean Jesus might be saying to you right now, hey, you see that child right there? Yeah, go talk to them. Hey, hey, you see that opportunity to go serve in kid builders? Yeah, that thing right in front of you? Yeah, go serve there. 
He might be saying, hey, you, hey you, you see that job and that person that you fight with at your job way too often? Yeah, that person right there, yeah, go talk to them. That, that place where you don't think you have enough grace to forgive your family for what that, yeah, give some more grace, honey. I think God is always giving us a really, really easy way to be obedient. He's providing an easy way for us to obey him. And guess what? It's not for our sake, it's for his glory. It's never for our glory. It's always for God's glory. I think Jesus is asking us to go and bring a cult to him, and hopefully we can be obedient to do exactly what he's called us to do. Go into the village in front of you. I don't know what your village in front of you is. I don't know what, what, what your cult is, but I know that Jesus is calling you to untie it. I don't know how, how, where you think your village might be or what you think God might be calling you to, but I know Jesus is calling you to untie it. I think oftentimes we, we miss the grand because we think it's generic. That we miss something that God is trying to give us really, really freely because we think it's generic. That these two disciples, Jesus just asked them to go get a donkey, right? Oh, okay, I mean, all right, we've been doing miracles, walking on water and feeding 5,000, but yes, I'll go get a donkey, Messiah. (laughs) But if they had thought about this maybe seemingly generic action, the way that their flesh maybe intended them to, they would have never been able to participate in what? Fulfilling a prophecy that was foretold in the Old Testament. Being able to bring something to Jesus that ushered him into his final week of ministry. I don't know what your village is, but I don't want you to mistake the grand for generic and miss out on the opportunity God's trying to give you. Sometimes the things that God is trying to bless you with might be seemingly generic. But God, with if you just put a little bit of faith into there, God's going to make it amazingly grand. I think he's leading us forward into our purpose because I don't think that your future can be found behind you. And I don't think it's it's necessarily bad to, to, to look to the past. I think it's bad to live in the past. Looking to the past is, is a good thing. We can learn a lot from the past. We can learn a lot from testimonies even, right? Oh, I remember when God did this in 86, and I remember when I got saved. We can remember all those beautiful things, and we can learn from history, and we can be encouraged by stories, and that can be a really, really good thing. But the bad thing is when we start to live in the past, when we start to live in what God used to be for us, or what our kids used to be like, or what my life used to be like, or what my job used to be like, or what my faith used to be like. But God is saying, no, 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 son and daughter, I'm calling you forward. I'm not calling you to look to the past. I'm not calling you to live in the past. I'm calling you to your future. And I think and I believe that Jesus is saying that your future is in front of you. Jesus is leading you to a village. The real question is, are you going to go? In Isaiah 43, 19, what do we know it says? It says that God's doing what? A new thing. God's doing a new thing. It's really, really hard to see the new thing when you're looking at the old thing. It's really, really hard to see the blessing that God is trying to give you, trying to give you when you're really, really sad about the blessing that he didn't give you. God's doing a new thing. I don't think that was just specific 
to the Bible in this specific time. I think that God's trying to do a new thing in your life. The question is, are you going to receive it? Jesus does 99% of the work for these disciples, and then all he asks them to do is, is go, find, and bring. Go, find, and bring. And, and the beautiful thing is that when Jesus goes and tells them to do it, he gives them really, really specific instructions. He says, go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat, untie it, bring it here. And in case anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You will say the Lord has need of it. God, Jesus gave them everything that they needed to accomplish the task. See, I don't think that Jesus will ever send you into an unfamiliar space unprepared. Jesus will never send you into unfamiliar, unfamiliarity unprepared. He's going to give you everything that you need to accomplish the task that he's given you. And if you feel like, God, I'm, I'm, I'm looking so much, I'm, I'm trying, and I think that you're calling me to this, and I feel like this is what, what I need to do, and I feel like this is it, you need to look around and say, God, what was the last thing you told me? Have I been faithful to what you told me? Or am I looking for my new blessing? Am I looking for my next gift? Am I looking for my next job? Am I looking for my next raise? Am I looking for my next boyfriend? Am I looking for my next... I think we live in a, in, a, in a microwave culture, right? Where it's like we have this idea where everything should be like this, right? Where everything should be like, we, if Netflix buffers for two minutes, we don't watch it, right? We're like, oh, this is wow, stupid Wi-Fi. We should go on. Th- how, how quickly? Let me, here's, here's just a test. If you're on Wi-Fi, right, and all of a sudden your video doesn't buffer, your timeline doesn't buffer, you, how quickly do you switch off that Wi-Fi and go right on your data, right? You're like, this isn't worth it. My data's fast. And then all, because it buffers for what, like 10 seconds? We live in a microwave culture where we're like, oh, we want it right now. We need it right now. And maybe, just maybe, God is trying to take just a little bit longer for this next generation. Maybe, just maybe, God is trying to increase your patience. Maybe, just maybe, God is trying to increase your faith. Maybe, just maybe, God's trying to increase your trust. I don't know where you're at, but maybe, just maybe, could we trust God rather than blame him? <sighs> I'm going to finish that one right there. I don't think that God will ever send you into unfamiliarity unprepared. The second thing he asks us to do is to find. I think that when, when I read this passage, I, I read this in... in when I see the idea that, that we're supposed to be the disciples bringing something to Jesus, gathering the next generation and bringing them to Jesus, something stuck out to me. And it's, it's in verse 30. It says, go into the village in front of you where you're entering. You will find a cult tied on which no one has ever yet sat. On which no one has ever yet sat. I think God often uses untested, unproven people to accomplish his tasks. Untested, unproven people to accomplish his tasks. I mean, the Bible is littered with these people, right? You could blindly turn your your Bible to, to, to a random book and you can find an untested, unproven person that God is using to what? Free Israel. You can find an untested, unproven person that God is using what? To slay a giant. You can find an untested, unproven person, guess what, in your building where you might be in charge of maybe, just maybe, saving your entire building. God is maybe sending untested, unproven people to change the world. 
And if you're like me, you might be saying, well, God, why did you, why, like, why did you choose me to do this? Like, God, God, I'm not like Pastor Brad. I don't know my Bible that well. I, I'm still trying to work on reading my Bible every day, right? <laughs> so I'm still trying to get the basics. But I think this cult was never ridden. It never had a chance to prove itself. It never had a chance to show its, what it's got. It never had a chance to be as talented as the other cult. It never had a chance to get on stage like the other cult. It never got a chance to give a presentation like the other cult. It never had a chance to have a kid like the other. It never had a chance. I think that God is choosing this untested, unproven cult on purpose. You, you guys remember the passage in the Bible where it says God uses the, 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 the things that the, the world finds strong? Mm-hmm. To, and, and shames? It says in the Bible, let me just read it for you. Actually, I'll just give a paraphrase. It says that God uses the strength of the world. The, God uses what the world finds strong and shames them with weak. God uses what the world finds wise and shames them with the foolish. Could it be that God is using what the world finds tested and is shaming them with the untested? Could it be that what God might be finding, what the world finds really proven to shame what is unproven? Jesus told these two disciples, go and find this donkey, bring it to me, and guess what? This will be a new donkey. It'll be an unridden donkey. It'll be a a cult that nobody has ever been able to put anything on. It has never been able to prove itself. And you might be saying to yourself right now, I've never been given the chance to. I've never been able to prove myself. I've never been able to show what I got. I've never had the opportunity to. God is saying, well, guess what? You are a perfect candidate for my purpose. Could it be that God is using the the untested to shame the tested? They're not good enough. They're not old enough. They're not consistent enough. They're not smart enough. They haven't put the work in that I've put in. They haven't been as faithful as I have. They haven't done what I've done. They haven't been through what I've been through. But we got to be really careful saying that type of stuff because the way that God sees one child is the way that he sees another child. The way that God sees you is, guess what, the way that God sees maybe that person you don't like so much. Well, God, they haven't, they haven't been as, they haven't been, in, but they haven't. He's saying, yeah, but I love them. He's saying, but God, but they, they're, they're bad. Hey, but I love them. God, but, but they're not even going to, they haven't been to church in like, what month? Is, yeah, but I love them. Could it be that God is choosing the unproven, untested to accomplish his purpose? I think a really, really good tool that I found in the Bible is that I need to stop seeing what I see and I need to start seeing what he says. I need to stop seeing what I see and I need to start seeing what he says. We need to start thinking about ourselves the way that God thinks about us. And guess what that takes? That takes renewing your mind by the word of God. And guess what that means? That means reading your Bible every day. That means that we now have an opportunity to start seeing ourselves like God sees us. We have the opportunity now to act as God has maybe redeemed us. Maybe we can live a life that is worthy to the calling to which we've been called. Maybe we can actually live this life in a way that honors God. I think that God is choosing to see us 
as he sees Jesus. Because of the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. We need to stop seeing what we see and start seeing what we says. And I think it's really tough when, when, when we're trying to know God and, and we're trying to, to, to be closer to him and we're trying to, to get all these things and we're trying to find this thing that Jesus wants us to go get and we're, and we're in the process of looking right now and we're saying, okay, God, I'm trying to look for this thing and trying to look for the next generation and trying to appreciate what you've given me. But it's really, really hard to know God when you only hear about him. It, it, it's, it, I think it's pretty difficult to know God when you're only hearing about him. And I think it's really, really good to be in church. I think it's good to, to hang around Christian people and to listen to podcasts and to, re, and to do all those things. But there's no substitution for relationship. There's no way that we can maybe by, by, by a third party or by two degrees of separation know God and be like, oh, yeah, well, no, I, I, I hear from Pastor Brett all the time who God. There's no substitution for relationship, church. And lastly, we need to bring the task that we've been given, the task that you and I have been given is to have a kingdom perspective on an earthly task. That these disciples, I'm not sure, maybe if they really studied their Old Testament, they knew, but I'm not sure if they knew exactly what they were doing in the process. That they knew that they were accomplishing what Jesus wanted them to accomplish, that they were actually participating in fulfilling the prophecy in Zechariah 9.9. You know that God doesn't do anything on accident, right? I don't know if you know this, and I, don't, I, I think that God, God's been showing it to me, but, or I'll say it this way. You and I might not know the strength of a single action, we might not know the strength that one action carries. That being obedient to what God asked us to do might be way more fruitful, way more actually purposeful than we could ever imagine. Going and finding that one person, reaching down to the next generation and pulling them up might be a seemingly small action, but it can have a big effect and this, this message on the next generation, this message about seeing what God sees in God's heart for the next generation, it's not a message about we are now passing something and now we are being left with nothing. That's what God is way bigger than just focusing on one generation. So us right now uh, intentionally focusing and intentionally seeing a next generation and trying to find God's heart for the next generation does not mean that the previous generation gets left behind. That now just means that we now have an opportunity to participate in what God's doing. So now we now have the opportunity to go find the cult and bring it back to Jesus so that he can ride the cult, if you will, and maybe use it for his purpose in something else. You, I, I don't know if we know that single amount of effect that one task can hold. That us go bringing something, us bringing something to God can be way bigger than we think it might be. And I think we might downgrade the action or upgrade ourselves. And, and both, I think, can be really dangerous. That we can either say that the, the action, that we're too good for the action or we're not good enough for the action. Oh, that this action is beneath me. Jesus, we've fed 5,000. Jesus, we've, we, he's walked on water. Jesus, we've cast out demons. You want a donkey? We're about to go into Jerusalem. What, a donkey? What? You remember like Alan Iverson? He's like, practice? It was like, a donkey? What? You want me to go? I mean, 
I don't, I guess <laughs> I'll do it, but like, I don't know if we know the single amount of purpose that one task can carry. We might downgrade the action or upgrade ourselves, thinking we're too good for this seemingly small task or we're not good enough for this seemingly big task. And the last thing I want to talk about as I close is that he's chosen to have need of you. We, we, we go, right? God is calling us to go find this cult and bring it back to him. We're supposed to go and get this next generation, untie it, and bring it to Jesus and say, Jesus, do what you want with this thing. Do what I can't do and accomplish your purpose with this thing. I'm going to do my small part. You led me to the village. You told me what to say. You told me what to do. You told me what would be there. I'm just going to fulfill my part, and I'm just going to untie it. I'm going to tell him that the Lord has need of it, and I'm going to bring it back to you. And apart from that, God, I don't know what else is going to happen. But Jesus says that the Lord has need of it. And we know that Jesus, that God doesn't need anything. But guess what? He's chosen to have need of this. Why? Because he chooses to have you participate in his purpose. God is choosing to allow himself to need you to accomplish his task. He could do it by himself, but guess what? He wants to use you. He wants to use me. And guess what? You might, I, I don't know if you want to use, he wants to use your kids. He wants to use your neighbor. He wants to use the unproven, untested cult, if you will, to accomplish his task. I think that the world is screaming that we're supposed to be the best and look the best and act the best and, and get to the top and have the most money and, and live the best life on Instagram and have the most followers and, and do the thing and, and have the status and, and be the person and have the relationship and, and look this certain way. And, and I don't know about you, but sometimes I have to remind myself that I'm supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. And the world is constantly trying to remind me that I'm supposed to be the best and look the best and act the best and try and portray this thing where I am deserving of everything that I got. I'm supposed to grind until I get it and I'm not going to stop. I don't care who I have to step on to get there. I'm going to get that job. I'm going to get the promotion. I'm going to show who I am and I'm going to prove that I have what it takes to be there. But I don't think that's God's heart. I really don't think that that's God's heart. I think that God is asking, are you faithful? Are we faithful to go and find the untested, unridden, unproven cult, untie it and bring it to Jesus? As I close, and, and if Darian could uh, get on the keys, just to make it sound more spiritual. a total tactic. I think that we need to start seeing what God says and stop seeing what we see. I think when the world is screaming something like, oh, no, 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 make them earn it. Make them deserve it. Put them through the motions. Make them work harder. Make them prove themselves. They don't have enough experience They've showed you who they are. They've done this. They've done that. I have to remind myself constantly that that's the opposite of the gospel. That I have to prove myself. That I have to earn it. I have to deserve it. I have to show that I'm worth it. 
When Jesus has told me time and time again that this is a free gift from God so that no man can boast. That this cult that is tied, that you see as a problem child, or you see as an issued co-worker, or you see as a problem within your soul, it's not an issue that's too big for God. That we see these cults that are tied up, and God is calling us to go. He's calling us to find. He's calling us to bring. And we're saying, no, God, they need to earn it. They need to deserve it. They need to prove themselves. They need to bring themselves up. They need to work harder. They need to be more consistent. They need to get on time. They need to do their homework. They need to stop doing this. And God is saying, did I ask you to do the same? He said, I loved you before you did all that stuff. I chose you before you did all that stuff. And guess what? I still used you. And Jesus is saying, I'm still going to use the cults. I'm still going to use the unproven. I'm still going to use the un... And I look at my life and I say, God, why me? I say, I look at this church and say, God, why this church? And he said, because it was never because of what you've done, son. It's always in spite of what you've done. I would hate for us to build something beautiful in this church and have an amazing service in an amazing church for 40 years and then when the waves come tomorrow, it passes away. I would hate for us to build something beautiful for ourselves right now and then tomorrow in our next generation has nothing to inherit. When I was at VC, I don't even know if he's in here, Sean Clemens, he drove, I, I was having a Bible study with like 10 people in my dorm room as I closed this for real, the last thing. And I was having a Bible study in my dorm room and Pastor Sean Clemens from here drove two hours down to Richmond, Virginia, sat in a 30 minute Bible study and drove back at like 10 p.m. at night on like a Tuesday. And, and when I asked him, I was like, bro, you, like, you do not need to come. Like, there are barely any people here. I'm not sure if they're entirely saved. And I don't know. It's like it's going to be 30 minutes. And he said, no, man, I'm going to be there. I think that's such a practical action of what it looks like to sow into the next generation. Of going, finding, bringing the cult that Jesus asked for the unproven, untested, unworthy cult that Jesus is going to use to fulfill his purpose.